Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 15. And uh, we're going to read through several verses. It's a familiar passage, but we've looked at comfort and joy over the last few weeks. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we started with this, how Jesus brings real and lasting comfort and joy that's not based on circumstance. It comes from the presence of Jesus in our lives. Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, that that Jesus is with us even in storms. He's with us in the midst as the disciples crossed over and they encountered an unexpected storm. Jesus was in the boat with them. And they, you know, here's the thing. The presence of Jesus brings joy that not only helps us to overcome life's storms, life's issues, life's hardships, but in the midst of that, the joy of God is our strength. And so God wants to give us joy and comfort in the midst of adversity. Uh, you know, we think sometimes to have peace or joy, comfort and joy. Uh, we have to have the absence of problems, the absence of conflict. Everybody has to get along for Christmas and Thanksgiving. But uh, whatever the case is, you can have comfort. If you're waiting for your circumstances to be good, for you to experience joy, you'll be waiting a long time. But can I tell you, you can have a good God in the midst of no matter what life looks like. He is always good, and he is always faithful, uh, and he provides us comfort and joy. So as we look at this, today is finding heaven's joy. Beginning in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. It was an unlikely crowd. It was a crowd that the religious crowd would themselves separate from and, 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 and look down upon. But these who were broken, who were hurting, who were outcast, who had fallen and failed, drew near to Jesus. The Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, they complained and said, This man, talking about Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus, in response to this, spoke to them a parable. In fact, he's going to tell three different parables here. He says, first, uh, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he's come home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, and says, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or one woman telling another parable to point to this principle. He says, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found what was lost. I found the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Something that's lost is something that's no longer in possession. It's something that has lost direction. It's something that's missing. And Jesus points to this to kind of respond to the religious crowd that looked at people who were sinners, who were tax collectors, who were those that had been on the outside of the religious circle, and they were the people that, that it was kind of the ones that they had written off. 
Uh, one of my favorite things that I've heard in the last year and a half, almost two years as a church, is when people are coming to Jesus and people who've known them sometimes their entire life say, I never would have thought I'd see that person come to Jesus. Never thought I'd see that person in church. I never thought I'd see this happen or that happen. I love that because, listen, never count out what God can do. Never prejudge what God can do in a life. And I love this story because Jesus points to the heartbeat of God. He points to what motivates heaven, but also what inspires, I think, the greatest joy in heaven itself. Heaven is a place filled with joy because it's a place filled with God's presence. What makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. And because of that, we saw last week in Psalm 1611 that in his presence there's fullness of joy. And so we, we know that his presence brings joy. But what makes heaven rejoice the most is when the lost become found. And here's what he points to. He says that, he, that a shepherd who loses one sheep is willing to risk at his own, uh, not only inconvenience, but risk of his time and attention and his own life. He's willing to look for the one. And then he points to a woman who's looking through the house and is searching for something of great value to her. And then she's willing to turn things upside down just to find it. And, you know, if you've ever lost something that's valuable to you, you'll do that. You'll dig through everywhere you can just to find that one thing. And, and here's the picture is that God is looking actively. He's pursuing what's lost. He's pursuing until. And he says that the shepherd looks for the lost sheep until it's found. So he keeps searching, he keeps looking, he keeps pursuing until it's found. God pursues, God is motivated. If you want to know what motivates and drives the heart of God, what is behind, I believe, all the activity ultimately of heaven is that God is radically and passionately in pursuit of men and women and children that are alive today that don't know him. God is willing to, you know, see, in, in, in business sometimes there's, you know, nobody likes to take a loss, but we write off losses. We write off certain uh, deficits, certain things. And, and, and in heaven, there's nobody writing off a lost person. God doesn't, there are no acceptable losses to heaven. Are, are you with me? One person. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> there are no acceptable losses to your Father in heaven. There's no acceptable losses to God, and so God is looking actively and pursuing. He's pursuing. See, you only look for what has value to you. You only pursue what means something to you. You know, Jesus in kind of the, the most, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, says, for God so loved the world. What's, what motivates the heart of God is his love for the world. And he uses a word for love, which wasn't in practice and use in the Greek language of that time. So it was either an old word or a or word he, he used, uh, that, and it's, it's agape. It's familiar to us because of church, but agape was a word that meant something different than every other kind of love that the Greek world and the Roman world was familiar with at this time. There's lots of words for love. There's words for uh, brotherly and, and, and friendship type of love. There's eros, which is a passionate love between a man and a woman. There's all these different kinds of loves, but there's this one love that Jesus points to, and it's a love, agape. It's a love that actually sees value in something and is willing to pay pr a price for it because of its its intrinsic worth and value. So, so let me read this definition from, a, 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 from Kenneth West, which is a Greek scholar. It says, agape speaks of a word, uh, speaks of love, which is awakened by a sense of value in an object, which causes one to prize it. 
and it springs from an apprehension of the preciousness of the object. So, so it's not just based on a feeling, but it's based on value. God so loved, so valued a world that didn't know him, that was steeped in darkness and even had run from God because of sin, had been separated because of sin. God so loved the world that he gave that he gave us Jesus. He gave his only begotten son. And so God has sent Jesus for a purpose. If you, We celebrate Christmas because of the birth of our Savior in Bethlehem. But as I've said before, even through this series, Jesus was born to die. He was born to go to a cross. He was born to take our sin and take our shame and take our place so that we could be restored to relationship with God so that what was lost could be found. Now, this is important because you may not feel it. Sometimes, you know, I had a conversation with someone recently that, that, that has pulled identity and worth from a lot of other things. And I, 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 when any time I'm like that or any of us are like that, we need to remember what heaven paid a price for. God loves you. Your identity and value come from you're created by God. You're loved by God. And Jesus died on a cross to seek and save you. That's what your value is to God. And so our worth and value are more than what we may feel or even see about ourselves or others. See, Jesus valued those that were coming to hear him. The Pharisees wrote them off, but Jesus never did. Matthew 13, 44, in another parable, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man finds, and he hides, and he hides that treasure. And for joy over the treasure that he's found, goes and sells all that he has just to buy the field. Now, now one aspect of this parable is to say that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that it's worth giving all of your life to. But it's also telling us what God's heart towards us is, that he found a treasure in the field and he was willing to to die on a cross to pay the greatest price just to purchase you and I. You're God's treasure in his field. That's what he came for. Let's go back to the parable. In Luke 15, verse 11, he gets to a What's probably the most, one of the most familiar parables in the Bible. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And here's what he says after describing the heartbeat of God and looking for the lost sheep and looking for the lost coin. Then he describes a lost son. Because you're not just an object to God. You're a person, a son, a daughter that has been far that he wants to come close to. And many of us who've experienced forgiveness, experienced the gift of salvation in Jesus, I think need to remember why Christmas and why Jesus came. We need to remember the joy of our salvation again. Here's what he says in verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. He's asking for his inheritance. And so he divided to them his livelihood. The son, one of the two man, one of the, the, the man's two sons comes to his father and says, I want what I'm going to get upon your death. I want my inheritance. And that to me says he wants what the father can give him more than he wants to have relationship with the father. And he wants his stuff. He wants his inheritance. He says, give me what's owed me. I want it now. And the father gives him an inheritance. You know what an inheritance is? It's what somebody else paid a price for that you get for free. And he provided for him what would be a portion to him later. And this son takes it, and we're going to see what he does with it. But I want to start with 
This young son's relationship to his father. You know what fathers give identity? They give, in fact, God himself gives identity. It's one of the things that, as I've already mentioned, that God, by creating you as a son and daughter, you have identity from God. He gives us identity. He gives us worth. He gives us value. He also gives us authority. See, this son had a position, a place in the household. He had access. That's what authority does. It authorizes you. It gives you access to relationship. We also have a purpose. We have a God-given destiny. God gives us identity, gives us authority, and then he gives us a destiny. He gives us a purpose. I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. In the Passion Translation, it says, we've become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destinies given to each of us, for we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. God had a plan. He has a plan for every person. He has a plan for every person who's alive. Now, the sad thing is that most people never discover what that is. And of that, I think even fewer walk in it. But God has a purpose for every son, every daughter. He has a purpose for every person that he has created. And the reason why I feel like most people don't experience the plan and purpose of God, what God has intended for each of us, is we do just like this son does. He takes his father's inheritance that he's provided for him, and then he leaves. And he runs to a lie. And any time we run to a lie, a promise of fulfillment, a promise of identity, a promise of, of fulfillment in life and even relationships and, 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 and access, whatever it is, there's all kinds of things we pursue, but if they're apart from the Father, they ultimately are a lie. They promise what they can't deliver. And so the son leaves with everything his father has given him, and he goes to a far country. You know, the Bible tells us of our own lives. In Isaiah 59, verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but our iniquities, our sin, have separated us, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So, so it's, it's not a problem of God's ability or willingness to hear and to save. What has separated us has been our own sin. And this, like this son, we go to a far country. We take what our fathers provided for us. In Luke 15, 13, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. He wasted. I think one of the greatest tragedies is when we waste what we've been given. When we waste what our father has given us. When we waste the time. We waste the opportunity. We, lay, we waste the life that we've been given. And, and, and this son goes and spends all that he has, but as you know the story, he ends up finding that the things he's pursued are empty. The things he's spent everything he has upon cannot fulfill, cannot satisfy, cannot give him worth and value cannot give him identity, cannot give him purpose. They can't do what the Father only can do. 
And so the son has spent everything he has, and it says now after some time he began to be in want. Verse 14, but when he had spent everything he has, he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. There's three lies I want to kind of bring to your attention. They're not unfamiliar. I think they're all too common. And it's what drove the prodigal. It's what drives us when we run from our father. The first is what the prodigal thought when he left his father's house and pursued his own interests and even his own trying to find fulfillment by meeting every desire of his own life and his own heart. And here's the first lie. It's that I can live without consequence. That there isn't a cause and effect. That I can... I can sow and not reap, that I can pursue my own way and not get lost, not find the end of that way is actually death. And that's where the prodigal finds himself. He's lived his life for himself, and the result is he's not more fulfilled, he's less. He's not more satisfied, he's less satisfied. He's not more happy, he's less happy. And I I think there's a stage Initially, when we pursue something apart from God, that we, we, we feel an initial sense of uh, enjoyment, but it never lasts. And, and life, you live long enough, you get perspective. Sin catches up with you. The effects of it begin to destroy relationships, begin to rob you of peace, keep you up at night, cause you to live in fear and shame and guilt and regret. And that's where he finds himself. He's realizing he can't live without consequence. The second lie is that my life doesn't affect anyone else. He, he, he didn't consider how his pursuit of his own interests affected his father back home, affected his family back home. And often we pursue our own way and don't think through the effects it has on other people, and some of us even live with the effects of others' pursuits of their own interests. But here's the third lie, and this is what I think is the most important one in this story and in our life and in our situation that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter what choice we've made, there's a third lie that we sometimes believe, and it's that I can't go back. I can't go back home. I can't go back to my father. Watch what the son says. He's joined himself to a citizen of that country. Why? Because he thinks he can't go home. <laughs> I've burned my bridges. I've, I've wasted my life. I've spent my inheritance. I've destroyed my relationship with my father. What am I going to do? And here he finds himself eating the leftovers for the swine. Like he's, Jesus is using this to point a picture of this guy's hit rock bottom. And he could have stayed there, but I love what happens next. Jesus says this in verse 17, but when he came to himself, when he came to himself, 
What a beautiful picture of what repentance is. It's recognizing the true nature of where we are and not staying there, but turning to hope, turning to the answer. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to, and to spare, and I'm starving. <laughs> he says, I'm going to arise, and I'm going to go to my dad and ask him for a job. <laughs> he says, Father, I've sinned against He's, he's rehearsing. I'm going to go to him, and here's what I'm going to say. You ever do that? You ever get ready for a hard conversation, and you rehearse everything you're going to say? Usually what I do is, after the fact, think of all the things I should have said. Okay, I'm not alone. Uh, he, he says, I, I've sinned against you, against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just, just hire me. Give me a job. Make me one of your hired servants. So he's going through this plan, and here's what he does that I think is the most important, and it's the only way to overcome these lies, especially that last one, that I can't go back, that I can't go back to my father. He he. He, arise, he gets up out of that place and it says he arose and came to his father, verse 20. He's, he's probably, as he's walking closer, he's getting more, more concerned about how, how his father's going to react to seeing him. He's not only rehearsing what he's going to say, but he's probably getting a little nervous. You ever, the, the more you get to the, the critical moment the more nervous you can get. What, am I, am I going to be rejected? Am I going to be told this is what you deserve? You got what's coming to you. And he's going through his head, I'm just going to ask for a job. I'm no longer worthy. Like I'm going through the whole thing. And he, he appears, and as he's drawing near to he's just in sight of his father's house. And here's what it says. His father, who is afar off, saw him in a distance. And his father, seeing his son, you know what that first tells me is his father didn't stop looking for him. He was waiting. He had his eye on the horizon. And while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran to him. He didn't even wait for his son to get all the way home. He said, I'm going after him. He ran to him grabbed a hold of him, kissed him, fell on his neck. And the son said to his father, Father, I've he goes through what he's rehearsed. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father, almost completely ignoring his rehearsed speech, <laughs> his prepared script, his father turns to the servants and says, Hey, guys, I want you to do something. Bring out the best robe <laughs> and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the best barbecue that we've been preparing. Thank you, Jesus. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. <laughs> oh, church, if you only knew how much your father loves you, if you only knew how much he pursued you, how much he pursues those who are still lost until they're found. He, the father sees him and runs to him. He doesn't say, you know, I told you so. 
Don't raise your hand, but that would be some of our response. I told you. (laughs) No, no, the father grabs him, embraces him, and then says, bring out the best robe, not the rags, not the leftovers. He says, bring out the best. You know what he's doing? He's saying, clothe him as a son again. He's wearing the filth of his own choices. He's wearing the garments of the pig pen. But cover him with the best robe. Because the father doesn't just give identity. When the lost become found, he restores it. He restores him just as if he never left home, church. Do you know what your father does? He restores you and I. He takes our sin, our shame, our guilt, the the. the He takes the garments of our own rebellion against him. And he gives us robes of righteousness. He adopts us as sons and daughters and says, I'm not just gonna, I'm not just gonna have mercy on them. I'm not just gonna forgive them, but I'm gonna give them what a son can can I can I help you with how the Bible puts it? What the son gets. It says we've been made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The Son of God became the Son of Man. That's what Christmas is about. So that the sons of men, us, who were broken, who were lost, who had actually chosen a life without God, and yet He pursued us enough so that the sons of men could become sons and daughters of God. We could be adopted, brought into the family of God. We could be forgiven. We could be made whole. And identity comes from your father. He puts a new robe on you. And then he says, bring out, bring out a ring and put it on his hand. Because he doesn't just, he, 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 give, he restores our access and he restores our authority. What we were created for in the beginning creates Adam and Eve, and he says, have dominion in the garden. You have responsibility. You have authority. You have a purpose. Sin broke that. Jesus came to restore it and to give you access to God so that you and I in prayer have authority in prayer, not just to react to darkness, but to see heaven come down, to see God's presence fill your life and your family. I had... I had a, a moment this week where I felt Im- impressed by the Lord to just really p- to pray. And as, as I was doing that, by the, end, I, I, by the end of that moment of prayer, I felt this massive shift happening. And, 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 and I'm telling you, church, you have access. You can let life stay over your head or you can go to Jesus in prayer and let it be under your feet because it's under his feet. <laughs> so you see, that's, that's, that's not all. He put new sandals on his feet. God restores our purpose, our identity, our authority, and our purpose, just like this father did for his son. And he blessed him with what he didn't deserve. And this is why. He says, verse 24, he says, For this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. That's good news, church. That's good news. But see, I love what happens for this son. This son realizes something. I'm sure at this moment he had joy like he hadn't found out in the far country. It was the joy of acceptance, the joy of forgiveness, the joy of redemption. 
And as we remember what Jesus has done for us, we can have that joy too. We can feel, as we see the lost become found, church, we, we get filled with the Father's joy, heaven's joy. You know, it says, I read it to you earlier, heaven's celebrating every time just one person comes to Jesus. My pastor in, in Florida told me the story years ago of how when he was a young pastor, he was part of a denominational church that was, their board was meeting and uh, discussing an event that had just happened for the church. And they, it, was, it was an expensive event, and it cost the church around $10,000 to put on this event, and it was an evangelistic outreach. But rather than seeing hundreds of people come to Jesus, they only saw one young man respond and give his life to Jesus. And as he's in this meeting with this group, and they're discussing, you know, was it really worth it? Spending $10,000 to only have one person come to Jesus. They're, they're, they're discussing this, and there's one man who's not really saying much. And after everybody said what they wanted to say, and everybody's kind of evaluated whether or not it was worth it, this one man who had been silent this whole time speaks up and says, how much did the event cost? And they said, well, it was 10000 He said, I'm going to write a check for that. Because that one young man was my son that I've been praying for years for. And it was worth it to me. There's joy that comes when the lost become found. There's joy when we are found. You know, I think the secret of lasting joy is in surrendering our life to Jesus. This man didn't find it out in the far country, but he found it in his father's house. He found a joy that the world couldn't give and the world couldn't take. The Bible illustrates this in the words of Jesus. Mark chapter 8, verse 35, For whoever desires to save his life will actually lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will actually save it. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So you can actually gain everything and still lose everything. Jason, if you want the team want to come up. He says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, just like that father in that meeting was saying, it's worth any price to me to see my son found. That's how much you're worth to God. And Jesus here says, if you were to gain the whole world, everything that the world had to offer, it would actually, if you were to exchange your soul for all of that, it would be a bad deal. Because that's how much you're worth to God. But in finding, he says, whoever tries to save his life, who's trying to find it in other things, preserve it in other things, says actually loses it. But the one who loses it, gives it away, lays it down for Jesus, says, I'm going to live for you, Jesus, actually finds real and lasting life, real joy, real fulfillment, real peace. Before we finish, I want to give you the last part of the parable, which is there was another son. And I think the reason why Jesus tells about the other son is because it's the, it's the actual attitude of the Pharisees that he's talking to. He, he goes on in verse 25, and he says, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? 
And the servant said to him, your brother has come because he's received him. Your father's received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf for him. But this brother, rather than rejoicing, rather than celebrating, became angry and wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered his father and he said, these many years I've served you. I've never transgressed your command at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. Man, teenagers had a different way of hanging out back then. But as soon as this son of yours, listen to how he describes him. Not my brother. Not my family. But this son of yours. As soon as this son of yours came, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, son, listen to this. This son is angry at his brother, doesn't have the heart of the father. And because he doesn't have the heart of the father, he misses the joy of the father at seeing his lost brother restored. He forgets relationship. And he's evaluating his brother based on what he deserves and what he doesn't deserve. Church, I think the reason why Christians become unhappy and unfulfilled and forget their purpose is we forget what we're here for. I I, I think the reason why you get churches fighting, you get Christians fighting, is we forget what we're here for. We forget we're on a mission to see the lost become found. When you know you've got a purpose, church, when you know that that life ring isn't for decoration, but it's to throw in the water to rescue those that are drowning. And the father says to the son to remind him, because the son at this point is evaluating what he doesn't have. He's, he's complaining to the father saying, I don't have what this son of yours is getting. <laughs> and he says, all I have, you don't understand. I'm always with you. Leave that up. You're always with me. Presence. And all that I have is yours. Come on, church. <laughs> Why would we ever be jealous of somebody else? Why would we ever complain about somebody else? Why would we ever bicker and argue when we know that we have him? We have the king, we have the father, and all that he has is ours. You don't need to worry about what's happening. And so, don't stop worrying about other people. Stop comparing yourself on social media to other people. Stop worrying about this family and that family and their house and your house and all this other stuff and set your eyes on your father in heaven because all that he has is yours. Would you stand to your feet? We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.